Hi everyone, this is Sean from Image Comics, and we have another amazing episode of Mirror Image for you. In this series, image sequential artists talk with other creators in film, music, prose, podcasts, and beyond about their shared passions and processes. It's a new venue for creators to reflect on the things they love. And in this episode, we have a truly magical conversation with Jeremy Hahn, Clint McElroy, Travis McElroy, and Carrie Peach diving into the world of fantasy and 12-sided die. Jeremy Hahn is the co-creator of The Beauty and the Realm the latter of which is about a mysterious event that causes our world to be overrun by the creatures of myth. Orcs, dragons, and other nameless horrors that throw the entire planet into total chaos. While a powerful sorcerer marshals his forces, a group of warriors embark on a journey to reclaim our world from the growing darkness. The second trade paperback of the realm just came out, and this book is brutal and exotic and absolutely enchanting. You may know the father and son team of Clinton Travis McElroy from the myriad podcasts they produce, usually with brothers Griffin and Justin, including their role-playing podcast, The Adventure Zone. Well, Clinton and his sons teamed up with artist extraordinaire Carrie Peach for an Adventure Zone graphic novel published by First Second, and it is laugh-out-loud hilarious and positively enchanting. The Adventure Zone Here There Be Gerblins by Clint McElroy, Griffin McElroy, Justin McElroy, Travis McElroy, and Carrie Peach is available wherever books are sold. The highly anticipated second book in the series, The Adventure Zone Murder on the Rockport Limited, will be published this July and is now available for pre-order. You can pre-order at theadventurezonecomic.com today. So without further ado, Carrie, Jeremy, Clinton, Travis, discussing all things fantasy, D&D, and inclusion. An epic thanks to the band Parents, with a Z, for providing the music. Check out parents.bandcamp.com for more music. Hey everybody, how's it going? Hello. We're good. All right, so uh, are we going to introduce ourselves first? Is that what we're going to do? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. Hi, I'm Travis McElroy. I do too many podcasts, and I wrote, well, I co-wrote a graphic novel. Um, I'm his father, Clint McElroy, and I co-co-wrote a graphic novel and worked in close collaboration with this wonderful young lady. Hello, I'm Carrie Peach, um, one of the co-adapters with Clint and... Griffin and Justin and Travis on the Adventure Zone. Here there be Garblins and Murder on the Rockport Limited. And I'm the artist on that book also. I do not do any podcasts. Awesome. I'm more now. Yeah. (laughs) Until this moment. And I'm Jeremy Hahn. I do The Realm and The Beauty for Image Comics. And no podcasts at all. Yeah. A good mix of writers and podcasts. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. This conversation series is a lot of fun because we get to talk about making things, loving things, uh, what comes with that. So starting with fantasy, and I I think we're in a really perfect time with fantasy stories right now. Um, We're seeing a real resurgence. What do you guys love about creating fantasy stuff? One of the things I really like about doing, I mean, just D&D in general and like RPGs in general and the much broader kind of like fantasy is like creating a world as you want it to be like it's one of my favorite things like building worlds in dnt where you're like you know what i don't want my characters to have to deal with this thing so like it doesn't exist here and like i don't want like my i don't want my players to worry about playing like a female character and like misogyny and sexism so like that doesn't exist in this world and i've always been a huge fantasy fan and i one of the things i like about it is it's kind of a paradox in the fact that i think that Fantasy, really good fantasy, is isn't dated. Um, it, you know, when you discover a great story, um, doesn't matter if it was written last year or last century. I think it's, you know, there's there's something about it. But at the same time, it is, 
incredible how reflective fantasy can be and and uh, kind of have an echo of of things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And again, there's another paradox. I think people read fantasy to get away from day-to-day, but at the same time, you can use it to comment on day-to-day. I think more than get away, people like to use fantasy to like understand the day-to-day a little in a a different context. Cause like you you can explore things out of context to like understand it better and then come back to the real world. And so like it removes a lot of like the stakes and a lot of like the baggage and like you can just think about the concept and then take what you've learned from fantasy back to the real world. Yeah, I'm with Travis. I'm really drawn to fantasy as a way to explore interpersonal relationships and narrative in this new framework and setting. And also like Clint, I think there's something really appealing about a setting that's kind of outside of our time and place that people have all worked to build together um, through this set of shared constraints. And I, I agree with you. I think Jeremy, I've just pointed as if everyone could see me doing this. Um, but there's a not necessarily a resurgence, I wouldn't call it, but like a continued growth of voices getting more space in the fantasy genre that we maybe were drowned out in the past, which is really wonderful. I talked a lot about, you know, in, in the 1980s, there was this perfect moment, especially in film. We saw this this huge amount of, of sword and sorcerer uh, Conan. You know, we had all these movies coming out at the same time. And uh, there were there were fantasy comics, tons of novels. And then for a lot of the 90s into the 2000s, we didn't really have a, a lot of fantasy stuff. A lot of people still played D&D, but it wasn't coming back like it is now. But now all of a sudden we've got a ton of fantasy, great fantasy comics coming out. Everybody that I know is playing D&D. Uh, I hadn't played it in 25 years and re, you know got back into it about the time we were doing the realm it's it seems like this perfect moment again for this sort of stuff i i think i think a big part of that is like is social media because for a long time i think it's really easy to play play this thing or do this thing i mean i, I think it's true of comics and video games and a, a lot of what is traditionally considered nerdy is like something that you did, but you were afraid to like ask if your friends did, and you were afraid to say like, "Do you play D anD D?" Because if they don't, like, you felt like, "Oh, maybe it's weird that I asked that, and you're gonna make fun of me for playing it." And then with social media, people are way easy, like it's way easier to kind of identify other people that do it, and it's like, "Oh, I'm not alone in this." Right. Like, I it's really easy to feel like I was the only nerdy person who liked this nerdy thing. But now I can go into a Facebook group about this nerdy thing and see like 20,000 people in it and not feel weird and not feel like it's weird that I like that thing. And I think it's made people a lot more confident to like talk to people and say like, hey, have you played this video game with or like, have you read this series or like, did you go to this without them being like, what are you talking about, nerd? (laughs) And as a nerd with 60 plus years experience, you you're exactly right. I mean, it was I'm. I sound like a crusty old man, mostly because I am a crusty old man. Yeah. But, you know, for us, the epitome of comics on in any kind of media was the Batman series in the 60s. If you look back and see all the things like Shazam and Isis and, and the things where, you know, comics, the true comic book mentality really wasn't represented. I mean, it, it just wasn't. And, you know, like you mentioned, Sword and Sorcerer and crawl and movies like that yeah there was this i think when the conan books uh, had kind of a resurgence and the and the and barry windsor smith's conan series and of course a couple of movies 
there was a little upkick in it, but I think the current crop of, of fantasy things really owe a lot to Peter Jackson and oh, yeah. the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. I mean, that just absolutely seemed to blow up everything. Well, it's so it's so weird to live in a time. I mean, now I'm going to sound like a crusty old man, but like where people are, I know where people like where like a comic book movie series is like the biggest thing mm-hmm. around. And it's like, this is about comic books, right? right like right. y'all are like, everybody knows about comic books now. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And like, it happens with video games too. Like going to E3 and seeing it like full of people mm-hmm. where it's like, I remember where like, it was weird that I played video games. Right. Like I remember a time where like, that was weird. It was weird to like play Mario. And now it's like, if you don't play video games, it's weird. You know what I mean? And yeah. in my lifetime, like watching it really shift hard into like, no, the cool thing now is to be a nerd. Like Doctor Who is huge. Uh, it's just, it's so weird to live in a time where it's actually weirder to not watch anime or to not like, it's, it's so weird. Yeah. I think Travis's point about accessibility through being able to see other people doing those things is a really good one. Is like knowing that there are other people who you can find and build a community with. Like maybe the people at your local high school aren't the folks you want to play D&D with. Great. You can get online and get on Roll20 and find a group that way. Um, and I think a lot of tabletop games have shifted into a focus on accessibility too in the past like five to ten years maybe or longer than that but like fifth edition I I tried 3.5 when I was in high school and it was a combo of like I couldn't get into the rule set and I was playing with a bad group of people and I just dropped it for like 15 years and coming back to fifth edition felt like oh this is this is for me like you made this for people who maybe played like a lot of RPG like video games and understand the basic systems but haven't played a tabletop game in a long time um, so it feels like a really a really great combination of those two kinds of accessibility of like these games are open to new players and also there are more points than ever through podcasts through like live streams for people to get a taste of what it might be like to tell a story with their friends without that investment I grew up in a town called Joplin Missouri it's buckle of the Bible belt, you know, right there. <laughs> and, um, I, it was, it was a tiny town and everyone that I knew played D and D there were maybe three of us or, you know, the liked comic books, we would meet at the shop and everything. And it was such a small community. Now it's changed to where literally everyone I know reads comic books. Everyone I know plays video games, you know, and it's a fantastic, exciting time. I think with that though, the, like, one of the other things I've seen that, like, I, I always try to push back against when I get the opportunity is, like, any kind of gatekeeping mm-hmm. of, like, well, right. you weren't into this when right. I was, oh, yeah. or worse, yeah. of, like, you're not the type of person who's allowed to be into this. Right, like, or this isn't the right type of fantasy to be into. Uh, like, fantasy is more than just swords and sorcery, And too. that's the thing is, like, the thing about fantasy that I love is, like, anybody can do it. Like, if I think that if you're not excited to bring someone new into it, like, you're not doing it right. It's my favorite thing in the world to sit down with someone and, like, help them build their first character or, like, yeah, why wouldn't you want your community to get bigger? I don't understand people who are like, no, this was for me, and now you're not allowed to like it. And But I guess that's because I've always been cool, so I don't really mean... <laughs> You're sending so many different pictures here, Trav. Well, that's the thing. I do understand that there is a certain element of that where, like, for a long time, it was a thing that you got to do without having to worry about someone else, like, bullying you out of it. And so I do understand that there is a sort of inclination of, like, if you were bullied by the jocks and now you see the jocks playing D&D, you're like, no, that's mine. Right. But, like, it just means that you're now cooler than the jocks that you can teach them how to play D&D. Well, it's really fa- uh, I have I have a 13 year old son um, and right now 
he, uh, about six months ago, he came to me and said, hey, would would you buy me the player's handbook for ah. Dungeons and Dragons? And I was like, can we can we go right now? Like, <laughs> like how fast can we get to the bookstore? Let me film you. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got to be the dad that n- not only had the kid that did that, I got, we host. So ah. so now they come to my house every Friday they play. And it's this this group of 12, 13, and 14 year olds. And kind of to what you're saying about, you know, like it's the best cross section. Uh, my son's best friend is a football player. Uh, he's he's, he's going to be this this beast of a kid who loves playing dwarves. They have fun. They play, you know, it doesn't matter. They just do whatever they do. And they do this every Friday and they're excited about it. As a, as a father who's then going in and going, okay, well, I know that you have d and tonight. I'm going to get the pizzas and then we're going to go play our Pathfinder game <laughs> out in, you know, uh, you know, it's it's kind of this perfect moment. I had very similar experience in the fact that it was my sons who said, go out and buy a player handbook, you uh, stooge. I'm still <laughs> waiting for him to do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, I feel like they're uh, not just D&D and Pathfinder, but um, games like the Apocalypse. Ap- wow. Apocalypse World Games. It's too early for me to say multisyllabic words. Um, and like Monster Hearts um, and a bunch of fiasco systems are all built to welcome like Play a non-binary character. Play whoever you want. Like there are systems set up to it's, welcome people. It's who one want of my favorite to. things about Urban Shadows. Yeah, it literally yeah. Like says in the instructions, like think outside what you normally do, mm-hmm. and like don't just like default to like who you are when you create the character. And because it really encourages you, like play from someone's point of view that you wouldn't normally have. And it says like you know the real world is very diverse, and so make your game very okay. diverse. And it's like yes, yes, yes. It's such a good empathy building tool, yeah. and it, not to be like. Games are just for learning. Um, but I, I feel like it's a great, it's literally building practice and perspective taking, which is such an important survival skill. And I feel like a lot of us are coming from a privileged perspective and we haven't had to do that as much as people who are like marginalized in other ways and have to do that just to survive every day of their lives. But you said like, yeah, as a learning tool, I really do love, because like, like I said, you can like have discussions about things and like, we did it in Adventure Zone. Like, I didn't even realize, but, like, a lot of Magnus's stuff is based off of stuff I've gone through. And that, like, and so there's a lot of, like, talking about loss or mm-hmm. talking about things you've gone through as a, your character where you can kind of remove yourself just enough that you can, like, kind of process it. It's one of the things, like, with PTSD, PTSD. where, like, you're encouraged to kind of, like, discuss it and kind of, like, live through it again and, like, kind of make yourself, like, talk about it. And you can kind of do that with role-playing games and, like, discuss things that, like, maybe you yourself wouldn't, but, like, as this barbarian, like, you can go through this kind of thing. And I also love in Urban Shadows, there's a built-in mechanic of, like, if you start to touch on a topic that makes someone at the table uncomfortable, like, oh, there's the, the, yeah, the they X can, card. like, yeah. slide forward an X card and, oh, like, you cool. know, like, okay, cool. Yeah. Let's, we're going to reframe this and, like, change it to a different thing. Like, well, what if instead of that, it was this? And, like, you don't have to be like, what do you mean, Derek? Come on, be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, like, built in of, like, mm, I'm not really comfortable with, like, you know, like, human trafficking being a part of this game. It's like, okay, cool, absolutely. And then, like, the, the GM, like, reworks it and says, well, how about instead of that, we make it this and we're dealing with this. And it's like, okay, cool. We're all yeah. comfortable with that. That's such a smart way to encourage like GM player collaboration mm-hmm. too. And you guys are both coming from, you've both been DMs and players. So I feel like you must have a sense of 
how much it really is a collaborative process, not yeah. just in talking through like what the story is literally going to be, but like what kind of issues do we want to explore? Which also sounds like, Jeremy, like the way you were talking about um, your process in making your book is like talking together about not just like here is the literal plot, but also like what themes do we want to walk through and like what's important to me in building this world? Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and really what you're hitting on so much is this is storytelling. This is this and, and you know, in comics or any medium when you're writing in order to tell these stories well you tell talk about characters that are not like you you, you embody characters that are nothing like you but that's so much fun it's beautiful it, it's so freeing to you know write a character whether it's it's all the shades of gray that people are to look at things and see it through their eyes and understand why they're doing whatever they're doing and and, and if you can't do that like we've all read comics and and watch movies where the characters are so one-dimensional and you know we live in a very special time where i think people are really looking through other people's eyes and the stories are getting better for it yeah and we're also i think marginalized voices are also getting to tell their own exactly. stories which makes a huge yes, difference yes. too oh, absolutely it's one of my favorite things right now in uh, adventures on amnesty i'm playing she's yeah i don't know if i put an age on her but like a young a bisexual Puerto Rican woman, mm -hmm. which I'm none of those things. And so like, it, but like what I realized playing is like, I'm just playing myself. Like basically she is probably the most like me character I've ever played, but she is uh, on paper different from me, but like, she's not like, and, and it's one of those things that like, I would encourage anybody who's like, Oh, I don't know how to write this type of person. I don't know how to do that. And like you do, cause you're a person and you know how to be a person. So you can be a person. And like, this other stuff doesn't make them different from you. That's just other, you don't mind playing like an elf rogue, but like you're bothered that they might be a woman. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah. it's, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. And at the same time, I think that, that we have also encountered a, a lot, we have a lot of discussion actually about being true to the character and not playing the character as, um, well, we've had discussions as an example about Ned, the character playing Amnesty, is not brave, but you're playing a D&D &D game and... So you want to be heroic. So you want <laughs> to be heroic. You, and, you know, so when it comes down, there have been some situations where, you know, uh, you, it, there's a call to action and you don't want to do something. You know, how true do you stay to the character and how much do you... Do you put that jetpack on? How much on? do you put that jetpack on? Yeah, that was... And that was... So, I've, you know, when we do that, you, you kind of have to justify because I think if you're going to be a good storyteller, you have to have good characters. And that doesn't mean that your character always does the right thing. I, Justin is a great example of that uh, when it comes to, uh, to that, because when we were doing Adventure Zone, when we did Balance, he made a very conscious decision that Taco was not going to be... I mean, Taco was going to have foibles and flaws and that they weren't all going to get along. You know, we had to earn that. The, the, and them I also coming think together. that's a good way to, like, kind of challenge your DM, too. Because, like, there are times where Justin kind of, like, off mic out of character would say, like, hey, listen, I know what you're setting up is that, like, you want us to, like, rush in there and do this thing. But there's absolutely no reason why Taco would do that. And Griffin would have to step back like, okay, cool, give me a second. And, like, then Griffin would kind of, like, okay, cool, here's what I'm going to do. And, like, introduce these kinds, and then Justin be like, yep, absolutely, that totally makes me want to do the thing. And, like, it, it, that is one of my favorite things, too, about both our audience and, like, kind of writing through 
RPGs and stuff is like being challenged on like trope breaking is so good. I think it makes you so much of a better creative to not just like fall back on like, yeah, this is how this works, right? And to really say like, what if we didn't do that? Like, what if we made this thing like this? And like, it's a thing that like, kind of from day one, our audience is kind of like really held our feet to the fire in a good way and said like, okay, this is kind of a cheap way to do that. And like, oh, you're, you're right. We're gonna think about it more like, so like when I was writing Dust, I really thought from the point of view of like, I don't want this to just be like, because of this and because of this. And I'm not saying I nailed it, you know, there's still stuff that I would go back now and redo, but like, it made it, it was a little more challenging to not fall back on those old tropes, but it also like was felt more unique and felt more mine and felt more personal when I was done because I didn't just say like, and of course I'll slot in this action here and they do this. Right, right, right. And let's be perfectly honest. Let's get real, Jeremy. When we first started doing the Adventure Zone, a lot of the choices we made were just to screw with Griffin as the DM. I mean, I mean, I don't know if we ever came out and consciously said, "Hey, listen." But I mean, we we really did it to shake up, you know, whatever. It, and in the early days, that was kind of a, a a triumph for us if we if we could mess with it. But on the other hand, that also led to some of the coolest moments in the entire arc. And um, arms outstretched and 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 different things like that where. You know, we did not do what he had thought we would do in what was a major story point in what he had created. And it's, you know... You know, I will say, though, we always frame that as, like, and we were messing with Griffin, but, like, Griffin loved that we did you know, yeah. <laughs> Griffin wasn't like, oh, you guys are making the game creative. <laughs> oh. That made it a challenge for him, too. But, uh, yeah, there was a different, uh, certainly a different attitude in the early days. <laughs> I always love seeing, like, the the... DM or GM's binder of stuff that was never used, they'll be using this little portion. And when then I, when I was writing does like I like had flow charts and like graphs and like I had I had written down because I wrote it like kind of a like a timed murder mystery. And I was like, this is the information this person knows. And if you talk to them, they're gonna be at this place at this time and they'll tell you this. But if you ask about the and like so everybody had that. I knew what relationship everybody in town had to everyone else. I knew like what secrets they were hiding, who they liked, who they hated, and I used five percent of it. (laughs) Now, are you gonna? Because you're gonna go back to that in in some like little short story formats. Uh, Are you gonna be able to use some of that? Oh yeah, oh definitely. Like I'm, I'm going to like yes. I have lots of character backstories. I'm going to much like when I write my own character. Like I have pages and pages of backstories for all of the character, all the NPCs too. I have an idea for the next dust that I'm very excited about. We, we do that so much in making comics, too. You know, uh, there there are characters that, that I've literally written for years now that we don't know. Like, there are things in their backstory that have affected entire arcs of the story, but we don't know why that happens. Or, or you know, um, in, in the realm... Um, we kind of threw everyone right in the middle of the story. You know, we, we, we just dropped you in and you said, this world's crazy. Something happened. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to say why. But also like what I love about that. And I love when people do that is like, you don't need to, like, you don't need to know why this happened to understand the story I'm telling right now. Like, unless you're some fans. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's the thing that like, it's tricky though, because I think so. (laughs) 
what it makes me think of is there's this running kind of joke in acting as like the Glenn Close secret because Glenn Close always talks about like and the secret is that my character has like a, a horrible pat or whatever and like you don't see that it's not talked about that's just like what she holds in her mind when she's doing the character so I always talk about like oh that's my Glenn Close secret you don't need to know <laughs> but what I I think is very important is you see it sometimes where like I won't mention names, but there's a certain author who is very bad at this of saying like, oh, this is the thing about this character that you need to know. And it's like, hey, you finished writing the books. It's not in the books. That's something you had when you're writing it. But like, or did it, you? Did you right? really? Yeah. Or are, you, yeah. Yeah. That's are you talking about me? No, Dad. <laughs> there is a certain thing I think of like, it's okay to think that. But if somebody like reads your work or listens to your work or whatever, and gets a different thing from it, then it's like, okay, totally, totally cool. Like, I wrote it, and when I was thinking of it, I thought about it like this, and when you were reading it, you thought about it like this, and we're both right. Because if it doesn't, like, say it in the text, if it doesn't say it in the script, if it does, then it's open to interpret. Like, that's how I look at canon. Is like, if, it, if it's not said, then it's open to interpretation. Yeah, I had a fan reach out to me, and they had an entire backstory built for one of the characters that we we had written and and i i said you know that's great you know like do do your thing because i would rather them have that experience with that character than me step out and say something that's completely different because it's kind of amazing and beautiful that somebody first off that somebody thinks about my stuff that much it's you know that's kind of crazy it's rook isn't it it was rook wasn't it yeah, yeah. It was, was it okay yeah so okay. so so clint sent me this thing and it was, it was yeah. Here's what I would do with yeah, that. Yes, character. exactly. But I love that. I love when like people take something and make it very like personal to them, where it's like this means a lot to me. And it's like, cool. Why would I take that away from you? Like that's yours, and you love it. And like it's one of my favorite things to like go to conventions and see people's different like cosplay of characters, and like that's so amazing that in your head that's what that looks like. Or like people doing fan art is one of my favorite. Like I've seen so many different interpretations of Magnus, and like. One, they're all great, but two, the idea of looking at any of them and going, no, not that. I was like, no, it is that. If that's what they heard when they were listening, then it is that to them. Because I grew up like reading, you know, fantasy novels and stuff. And like what I picture when I read, you know, The Talisman is true because it's mine and it's my interpretation. And it's like, and the idea of like if Stephen King like kicked in the door and was like, no, he's four foot six, right, not four right. foot three, then like <laughs> I'm not going to enjoy it as much. Carrie experienced this, you know, when I think when she started coming up with the designs for the for the graphic novel, for the character designs and for the the different looks. You know, it was, uh, you know, everybody was, is very um, how, how, uh, territorial about, you know, their interpretations. And, you know, we you know, how many times did we get it where somebody said, wait a minute, I thought, like you said, four, three instead of four, six. I do kind of look at it and like, it's so amazing to me and it's not always great, but it is amazing to me how much that stuff becomes fact in people's head. We're like, wait, hold on. That's not what they look like. And it's like, they don't look like anything. They're not real. <laughs> That's a question people ask me like, what's such and such's favorite song? And I'm like, I don't know. They're not real. <laughs> All right. I got a question then. All right. When, when you first know. started listening to the adventure zone, did I'm talking to Carrie. I, this is not, not, not very good radio. I should know radio better. When you first started listening and you became, when you first start, became interested, 
did a visual spring to mind fully formed uh, for for the for the characters for Merle and Magnus and Taco? Um, not fully formed, I don't think. I think um, it, it's interesting in the case of a podcast because like what you do is going to be informed by the only info you have, which is not just the text of here's what this character is saying or doing, but like here's what these voices sound like. And also in your case, like you're real people acting and writing these characters. So there's definitely a taste of like, okay, but I know that this is played by this person. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is hard. I definitely had outfit. Like I was like, I know exactly what these people are wearing. Okay, all right. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. You know, here's, so the way I look at it is, so I worked for a Shakespeare company for a long time. And like, you can go see 20 productions of Hamlet and each one is going to be different. Like, some will be in period costumes, some will be set in the post-apocalypse, some will be set in New York City, 1963, or whatever. And it's like, they're all right. Like, no one's walking I'm like, that's not what Hamlet wears. And they're all right. And so, like, that's kind of the way I look at it. It's like, if you draw it, that's your Hamlet. You know what I mean? Like, that's your Magnus, that's your Magnus, and that's your Magnus. And, like, I, 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 I've thought about it a lot, because since we started working on, like, because we talk a lot about, like, there is no visual canon. And then people are like, what about the graphic novel? And I'm like, that is the graphic novel version right. of those characters. Right. But, like, that doesn't mean that that's what they look like if we were making a live-action movie. Or if we were, I don't know, making a cartoon. Like, they might look at I don't know. And it's like, it is really fitting. It's perfect. The designs are perfect for the graphic novel. And that's why they work. And that's why we love them. But that's not to say, like, and so now when you do fan art, they have to look like that. Because, like... It's different. Well, it doesn't take it doesn't take from your head canon to have the graphic novel, and like I love seeing your interpretations of the characters because they were so spot on to things that I had in my head, yet yet different at, at times. And I'm like, oh, that's cool too. And I think that being able to accept it and say, this is this is the way I see it. I mean, how many times have you watched a movie? that was one of your favorite books and you're like oh no that's not it at all but i only think that about what parts they cut out <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm just like oh but that i was about to, <laughs> that quidditch scene it's always yes. that quidditch right. scene. why did you cut that quidditch scene i will say i i had the most like middle-aged person thought which is it's like going to a friend's house and seeing that they've remodeled their kitchen and being like oh, oh i'm gonna steal that like i love that <laughs> right, idea right. but like you wouldn't walk in and be like, that's the wrong backsplash. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you would go and be like, oh, my God, I love, you know, like these appliances. And maybe when you remodel your kitchen, you take some of those ideas and you change it. That's my favorite thing now is since the graphic novel came out, seeing how it has influenced without, like, restricting people's, like, fan art and stuff. I'm being like, and so now I both get to see, like, people's take on it, like their own, but also people's take on Carrie's take of the it's so fascinating to me like uh I I like someday I think we should put together just like a whole book of like fan art and like like a taxonomy structure yeah. of yeah uh, it's so fascinating because it really is like everybody's like experiences are different so everyone's like way they picture and what it means to them and how it's like that's what uh, th this is dorky but like that's what they need that character to be for them and it's like yes that's incredible it does and little things too like my favorite thing is seeing different magnus cosplay and how people do steven it's different every time i've never seen two steven the goldfish is the same and it makes me so happy like oh that's how you picture steven okay great uh, a little bit more about i guess the comics side of things what what's 
a little bit of your process like? Because I think we all have have different processes for making these things. How does it start when you guys are writing the book together? Um, we have an, uh, I guess, an advantage in the fact that we have the game plan of um, I get the transcripts of the individual episodes and go through them, use those as kind of a foundation. We start with an outline and then go from the outline to try to figure out. Really, in the outline form, we make quite a few decisions. Yeah, we talked a lot about that in, uh, in book two, especially, I think. Of right. Like how do we want this story? Like, which parts of this do we want to move from the uh, from the start to the beginning to frame this? And mm -hmm. which storylines do you want to bring forward a little bit more, which was really fun to get to do. I, I think that it, people might mistakenly think that it was easier to write the book because we had done the <laughs> podcast before. But no, because, like, one, most of the jokes and most of the moments, like, without literal tone of voice is like well hold on <laughs> we got to rewrite this whole scene because they seem like they hate each other and like and then like what to cut what we need to change and then carrie who was just amazing like indispensable going through and saying like i can make that work with a face like a facial reaction or like we don't need eight lines of dialogue to get this thing across i can do it in one panel and be like, oh, okay, cool. Because <laughs> well, writing comics is such a different experience in the way that, that you can you can have someone throw a glance that says everything that you would normally have to say in like, I mean, especially working in audio medium with a podcast. You know, uh, I, I really I really love that because I think that you have worked on on the book in a very similar way to that Seth and I in creating the realm have. Like, like the line is blurred between you know, you're, it's not just, you're not just the art monkey. You're adapting, you're working on it. You're, you're saying you're having as much of a part in the writing as, as they are. And, right. and, and everybody on the team is deeply involved at every stage of the art process too. So, and when we do thumbnails, we come back and talk about like, with the benefit of hindsight, like knowing where your characters ended up, like how do you want to change what's already in these thumbs to better reflect like the journey they're going to go on down the line? Which is a which is a temptation to try <laughs> to avoid right. as well, because yeah. we have found that, you know, we want to embrace things in the moment and we want to embrace things, you know, as they develop. You know, we've had discussions before, especially in the first book, how mean the three characters are to each other. I mean, because, because you have that meta level of like, that was when we were messing with each other. And it's like the three of us and, you know, Griffin, like, yeah, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but without tone of voice and with it being all said through the character's mouths makes it seem like we hate each other. But I think Clint's point is also a good one that we've also talked about. Like, we don't want to jump straight to the finish line. Right. right? Like you, you they're not you heroes that journey. and yeah. they're not buddies right off the bat. That That, that just wouldn't be true to the story i mean because you have to earn that so one of the things i like really loved learning in the process of making because this is like my first comic book working on is like so like i said i came from a world of theater where like everybody's looking at the whole stage all the time and you can't really control where people are looking what i've learned is like the comic book artist is like the cinematographer and like the editor all those things of of like in movie form of like i want you to look here that, like I'm gonna do a close up on this person's eyes, and that's what you see. Like you don't have an option to not look <laughs> at that person's eyes because that's what the panel is. And so you're able to really specifically like convey emotion and story and everything in a panel because you get to control the point of view. You get to control. It's one of my favorite things in reading realm is like 
the ability to like pull way back on a scene and like scope and like you can do that in a comic book in a graphic novel in a way that like you can't in a podcast there's the panel of like us down in the well us the mm. characters down in the well as rockport or no as uh haverdale burns and it's like scope you can't that's something that you can't do in a podcast like and now i'm gonna pull back right. like you can't do that and yeah, and I, I think uh, one other thing I noticed in reading the the realm is the the moment to moment transitions that you guys use of not just like here are things that happen in sequence, but like here are different snapshots of this one space. Like here's not just this person hanging out with a sword under this bridge, but like pull back and look up in the sky, and like here's this giant floating monolith with a big hole through it. So like you're getting environment, you're getting scene, you're getting emotion, and it's all of this like taken as these small pieces that form a whole greater than the sum of their parts I think like it's easy to be overwhelmed when you're looking at like a long shot on a movie screen or a uh, like on a stage it's hard to know where to look and I think that control is really useful in saying like here are the pieces that I want you to pay specific attention to and I love the, and I love the cinematic <laughs> approach that you guys use and the fact that you will you know you've got a couple of different storylines going at the same time I'm thinking about especially in uh in eight and nine where you've got the group making their way through the dungeon and but at the same time when you make those jumps and then you make those transitions it's very cinematic and the fact that you you will jump to a new scene but you don't have a box up here that says meanwhile (laughs) but (laughs) but the art obviously the visuals indicate okay we've we've changed scenes so it has it you know i i love that flow of it there what you guys do there i think in general like i think good oh god this is going to sound judgmental go for it i think good writers good creators in general trust their audience in a way of like and this is kind of getting off topic but a little bit of like i don't i know i don't have to like spell out for you why this is happening because you're a human being who's interacted with other human beings and done stuff before so like it's fine like yeah okay cool absolutely like and I think that that's something that we really had to like work on in the adaptation of like, can we lose this line and will people still understand why they're doing this thing? And at a certain point, you just have to like kind of trust that like people understand motivation. People understand like, why are they angry? Because they're angry. It's like, oh, okay, cool. I think it's, it's the temptation is always maybe even more used to be that we had to spoon feed things to people. We had to explain every, you know, um, yeah, you know, you'd, you'd have to explain that this is the sum of Psylocke's powers, you know, like each time it was, it was this over explanation. Whereas sometimes characters go through things and we don't need to, we just feel it in the moment. One of my favorite things that you fit into the graphic novel so well was the addition of, Griffin's commentary, you know, so we're seeing the adventure. (laughs) Oh, but, but honestly, when, you know, having listened to the podcast, you know, it's an integral part of what you do, but I was like, well, this isn't going to be in there. I, and I, I read, you know, read the graphic novel and I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, because you're still representing the show, the. Yeah. There's so uh, we went through a couple of different iterations of like, Maybe it will cut to us at a table, but it's a different stuff. But when it comes down to it, like what we didn't want to do ever was lose sight of the fact of like we have to be meta and we because we can't take ourselves too seriously because that's not 
what the show is. Like, so like if we tried to take it of like, this is, it's just going to be this high fantasy thing we've created. It's like, okay, but then people are going to see the cracks in the story <laughs> and how bad it is. If, as long as we keep it meta and like, kind of like, we know what we're like, we know what we did. And like, this is the thing is like, we didn't sit down and write like a thousand page high fantasy novel. We did a comedy podcast in which we also played D and D. And so if we lose that, then we're as, someone might say from where we're from getting above our raisin and it's like okay cool you you're not high fantasy right like you made a fun podcast that eventually got there i think like ended in a way once i people have asked me before like was there ever a turning point in the show and like or like when did you know it was a thing and it's like you know i think we did hear there be gerblins and thought like this is the comedy in the show the thing about the show is us making a silly thing and it's about us and then we started to see fan art and we started to see cosplay and we started to see like oh okay cool we're telling a story this is it's not it's not a actual play podcast this is like a narrative podcast and like once we saw that people took it seriously we kind of had to take it more seriously just to kind of live up to their expectations and not that's the wrong word live up to we wanted to deserve the audience that we had and so it's like oh okay we should take this more seriously <laughs> but, but to his credit griffin also i think earlier than the three of us kind of saw that because you know now in going back and adapting the books i'm i'm seeing all these threads all these seeds that he he kind of planted and and you know in the when we made our original decisions and 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 it really was a big topic of discussion and that was a big decision to include griffin as the dungeon master and on a couple of different levels for one thing we didn't want to do it without him i mean obviously we made the decision that clint travis and justin would not be characters I mean, and because there was discussion of that, you know, they were going back and forth and, you know, oh, I was sitting down and framing it. But then we made the decision that Merle Magnus and Taco would be the characters. But Griffin had to be in there. I mean, we just needed to have him in there. But on a practical level, we made the decision that a lot of the, not all, but a lot of the meta kind of jokes the pop culture references and, and things that these characters wouldn't necessarily know about, we could then put into Griffin's mouth and, and it made a lot more sense. And also, and you and I have talked about this, we wanted that character to serve as a, an inconstant reminder that we were playing D&D. Right. Right, as that kind of bridge between yeah. Merlin, Magnus, and Taco are the main characters of the story, but also the game is a main character right. and the game itself wouldn't happen without Griffin. That's the thing. It's like there are moments that only happen because of dice rolls. They're yep. like in the podcast and it's like, okay, so without that, it's not justified why they would miss or like right. why this would fail. And so it, it's a whole element of the show that if we were removed, it'd be like, uh, what what's happening? Why? Why? And so like having moments like roll for initiative and like, uh, no, that's a critical miss. And like, we're not the right level to cause as well. What are you doing? Like having those in is not just like a funny thing, but also as much a part of the story as the backstory or like character, you know, relationships or whatever is the right. game. And having Griffin there uh, as the DM, I think is really useful in that it means we don't have to literally show a dice roll. Like we can have Griffin there to explain 
like the the minimum mechanics of this tabletop game that you need to serve the story without getting bogged down and like let me present you with a page from the player's handbook so you understand like why Merle can't or maybe ought not to have cast the spell but did anyway and it was great and he is the cutest That's yeah. true. Griffin is the cutest <laughs> so. and but you oh, I thought you were talking about sorry, Merle. they're all the cutest but oh. you sold the hell out of it too I mean like like really like I, I think that your representation of him you know, up in the corner you know like that it, it and, 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 you know, his frustration at times and all of that, it, it, it really, it, it was, it was a perfect way to handle it. I, I enjoyed that a lot. I, I will brag about Carrie all day long, but specifically here of like, if you want, it's little, but it's like the shining moment of her expertise and skill. It was like when we were doing the cover for here, there'd be Gerblins. I think there was something like, can you make it look more like he's accidentally dropping the dice on Merle's head instead of on purpose dropping it. And Carrie's <laughs> like, yep. And the next time I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that, like, I, it was this amorphous note that was completely non-specific. It was like, how do you make a static figure look like they are accidentally dropping something instead of an on purpose dropping? And she did. <laughs> and then <laughs> she did it. I was like, okay, cool. I wouldn't have even begun to know how to do it. And Kara's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Don't worry about that. So I think we're about to wrap up. But I mean, uh, any other thoughts on loving fantasy, loving comics being amazing? I will say, so as we wrap up, it took me, I didn't start playing D&D until I was like 24, 25, because like I, I thought it was like this last threshold of like nerdiness. But also, if I'm being honest, there was a part of me that was like, but I don't know how to. And like, if I sit down with people who do know how to, I'm going to drag down the whole game and like, I won't know how it works. Start playing. If you want to play, like if you have the, one, because like I said, especially if they're your friends, it's everyone's so excited to introduce new people to D and D because it just means like, yeah, someone who might actually show up to play, huzzah! Someone <laughs> I don't have to schedule around, yay! And so like, if you're interested in playing, start playing because what I also come to find out looking around at all these properties, it's, it really gets your creative juices going, right? Because it's a good way to kind of learn storytelling because in any RPG, all you have to figure out is the next thing. Like, you don't have to be like, where where will this end in 18 episodes? Like, you just have to think about, like, what do you do next? What do you do next? What do you do next? And, like, that's all you have to do in writing, too. It's like, for a long time, I really, I wanted to write, but I was like, but I don't know how the story would end. I'm like, cool. Just start at the beginning and get to the end when you get there. And also embrace it. I mean, just like he said, jump in on, not just on being a participant, but DM. Yeah. Take a shot at DMing. You know, I mean, it is. It was scary for me, and and it was kind of freaky, but it is a great experience. Play a character outside your comfort zone. Play play something that you know is is not just when it comes to the the character, but like the the you know the 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 race, uh, the 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 job, the you know whatever. Make them mean. Like, <laughs> make them make them make them not good people. I mean, what there's there's just so many things that you can do and learn about yourself just in doing that. Yeah, I, I think I, I said this before, but I will harp on it again. Uh, is that tabletop is a great way to tell stories and have fun with people you trust, and it's it's a really magical thing to get to do that. And also, good team building exercise. Like it really is. Like people talk about their like D and D group like like they've been through war together like <laughs> this is my party and it's like 
yeah, all right. Like, I will say, like, it's my favorite thing now is whenever we get to do live shows, we go back to balance and, like, we sit down and it really is, like, a college reunion or high school reunion kind of feeling of, like, these are our guys. Yeah, let's do And, like, it's it's really fun now to play those characters with Dad and Justin and Griffin because, like, we're all on the same page now. We know what they're going to do and, like, we know what these characters are capable of and we know what the references are. And it really is a good way to, like make new friends and and like build relationships with people and i love it it's one of my favorite things. going to gen con now i get to play like all these one-off games with people and it's like well now we're instantly friends like as soon as you play an rpg with someone it's like i know everything about you now <laughs> and let's not lose the social aspect of it and the fact that you know i'm i'm old so what? i know it's hard to believe but I have a group of friends that, you know, when we first started getting together, we sat down and played euchre. We played cards, right? right? And so, you know, at some level, even though D and D is very narrative oriented and, and and is very based that way, it's still a, a a chance for socialization. It's still a chance for you to get to know people. So yeah, you can play with people you trust, or you're going to develop that trust with with the people that you play with. And and at its heart, it's 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 getting together with folks and and you know that's been one of the knocks you know because of the very thing that you were talking about earlier and the fact that you know it wasn't always cool to be that geek it wasn't always cool to be that nerd trust me i know i'm that's not cool now (laughs) and i embrace it but now we're in charge we nerds are in charge we're the boss here's the thing nerds don't become jocks now that we're in charge (laughs) We have to still be cool because that's the thing. I think that that's part of the gatekeeping is like you were gatekept against. And right. so then it's really like empowering and powerful to feel like now you get to gatekeep yeah. against other people. Don't because then that just makes then you're just perpetuating the yeah. cycle. Don't don't pull the ladder up behind you. Put it down for the next people so that they'll have an easier time getting into the thing you love. Well, it's, it's an exciting time to love things. You know, it, I, 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 I only post online about things that I love that I'm excited about and uh, it's okay that somebody likes something different than you and and you know yeah make it for everybody and, and just remember the more popular the thing you like becomes the easier it is to find t-shirts of it so like <laughs> get everybody involved look how much Marvel stuff there is now right. you can buy Captain America stuff anywhere right. so it's okay that other people like things it just makes it easier to find toys and merch and stuff perfect <laughs> Truly epic thanks to Jeremy, Travis, Carrie, and Clint, and to Parents for providing the music. Check back here in February for another episode of Mirror Image.